Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I'm your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Kit Jenkins. For over 30 years, Kit Jenkins has worked helping animal welfare agencies strengthen their organizations and programs to help individual pet people keep their cats and dogs at home. Since 1984, she's worked in animal shelters across North America, large and small, private and municipal, rural and urban. Kit has focused on animal and human behavior in the shelter and in the home, program development, and on education for all ages. She is internationally known for her training, counseling, and writing abilities regarding shelter-related issues and program development. Kit worked with PetSmart Charities for over 11 years, supporting animal agencies with grants, coaching, mentoring, and training. Kit now lives in North Carolina with her current cat family of Mr. and BB, who encourage their mom to stay connected to the reason we all do what we do, the animal's point of view. Kit, thank you and welcome to the show. Thank you, Stacy. So I just wanted to uh, take a step back and find out how did you get started in this business? I think like so many people, it kind of started sideways or by accident. I was in um, Knoxville, Tennessee in grad school teaching freshman level college English and living in student housing, graduate student housing, which was cinder block hell and no pets. And so I was looking for something, um, a way to volunteer and also to get a little, little fuzz time, found the local shelter. I'd never been in an animal shelter before, found the local shelter and got sucked in right away. It, I found my world almost immediately, decided that teaching large, hairy animals, human animals during the day and uh, working with small ones at night were not the best things. So moved to focusing on small hairy animals. And uh, that was kind of the beginning of everything. You volunteered at the local shelter. And, and how long did you did you stay as a volunteer? Or did you eventually work for them? I stayed as a volunteer for about two years. And it was a small rural organization where really every job needed doing. So as a volunteer, I did every job needed doing and then was hired on part-time and then full-time doing adoptions, uh, getting their the very first big cumbersome computer set up. And then we built the first education program. And that was uh, human education for children, teachers, and for adult pet owners. The thing was, there just weren't that many resources in that time and place and really in other places too, because there wasn't any way for us to talk to each other in our field. There wasn't any way to really get training in anything. There was no formal training. There was no college degree you could get in animal welfare. And there wasn't a way to sit down and have a conversation with other folks who were doing the same kind of work in other communities. It meant that there was a huge sense of isolation. When I wanted to start a dog training class, which there were no dog training classes in town that were positive reinforcement. All I could do was gather books at the library that were 10 and 15 years old. So you kind of had to do it by the seat of your pants. And when it came to working with cats, there was nothing. Cats were third-class citizens. Uh, they pretty much came in the back door and left out the back door. A very few went up for adoption. Those that did were in cinder block kennels um, in really horrendous conditions. And nobody came to adopt them because you could, you know, cats or barn animals. So it was frustrating that there wasn't any way to 
learn about cats in a formal way, but also not a way to teach about cats in a formal way. So I started building basically my own programs. So this was just to position it. This was in the mid 80s. Is that correct? Right. So back then it was, I guess we would call it more of that sort of traditional sheltering era and pre-internet. You were talking about setting up a computer. So basically our way of staying in touch was by the telephone in those days. We did have a state Tennessee conference at that time that was brand new. And it was the once, you know, once a year time we could get together. There was no expo. Uh, Humane Society of the United States Expo didn't exist the American Humane Association at that time had some human education materials you could order, but they didn't start their conference until later in the 80s. So yeah, it was traditional shelter. There weren't any foster-based groups. There certainly weren't any cat-specific groups. Uh, it was the shelter or nothing. And we also, in our shelter, had the animal control contract. So we really were the only organization for several counties, really, not just that one county. It appears that you went to several other organizations sort of over the next 10 years. Did you see anything change with regards to sheltering and community cat programs over the next 10 years? TNR was still something that was very foreign. Um, it really hadn't even come over from England yet, even in the more progressive communities. And that certainly wasn't where I was. I did go from Knoxville to Atlanta, which to me was a big city and a very nice shelter, but still traditional sheltering. Good environment, but cats were, again, third-class citizens because that's just the way it was. Animal control didn't even handle cats. So the only place for cats to go was in our intake, either people finding them or people surrendering their own animals. I got to say that at that time, when I saw an outdoor cat, and there were many, many, many of them, my response at that time to myself was to say, oh my gosh, those poor cats, they need to either be living with people or we need to get them out of their misery. That was the common attitude. And there really wasn't any reason to think about it otherwise. And there was a cat when I was living in Atlanta that hung around outside my apartment and he'd been left behind in my apartment complex. He was enormous. He had a head like a cantaloupe. He was just a classic tomcat, you know, missing an ear, piece of his tail gone, scars all over his face. And he was killing other cats, killing squirrels. I saw him in a fight with a dog once where the dog left yelping. But this cat was clearly sick and, in my mind, dangerous. So I set out to trap this cat, which meant picking the cat up and putting it in a carrier because you didn't really have traps then. And my intent was to put him out of his and everybody else's misery by taking him in and euthanizing him myself. When I got close enough to him to meet his eyes, I realized that this was a cat. This wasn't some wild animal. It was a cat. And he had his own world and his own way of surviving. And so I started to think very differently about outdoor cats and about how we might get a happy medium where those cats could live safely, sanely, humanely, but not be contributing to the problem and trying to find a way that other animals were safe from them too. So it was really a complete philosophical change for me. And again, there wasn't any place to go to read about options. Not yet. There were certainly a few groups in the New England area that were starting to do TNR, but it was still illegal and anybody who wanted to help outdoor cats were skulking around in the dark. And now, let's take a moment to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Flashlight tag was fun when you were a kid, but no one wants to play hide-and-seek with their trap. 
Find your trap's location quickly and safely, even when you visit it at night, with the Reveal Wild application for Samsung Galaxy, HTC One, Sony, Xperia, and other Android phones. Or go to tinyurl.com forward slash Reveal Wild. So when do you think that the community cat TNR word started spreading across the country at a greater rate? I would say early to mid-90s, but the folks who were doing it were facing huge challenges because it was illegal in most communities to be basically harboring these animals. And that made it really tough to do what you needed to do. So you kind of did it in secret. Another big challenge was a lot of private veterinarians were not comfortable, as some still aren't, working with trapped cats. So it was tough to find somebody to do the spay-neuter surgeries and also to get them done in an affordable way. So I do think that it started spreading, certainly in the Northeast and then across the Atlantic Atlantic coast, of people doing it. But again, we still weren't really talking to each other. So there wasn't a way to share best practices. And a lot of folks who were doing it, even in their community, were doing it by themselves. And they might discover by accident that there were five people doing it by themselves. And so it was these pockets of activity, which might have been great for that individual cat, but it wasn't necessarily the best way to solve the local problem. In your work that you did with PestMark, charities, you were able to work with many, many, many different organizations. And did you start seeing sort of a social change movement happen when working with these groups over a 10-year period? Absolutely. And I think there were several key elements to that. One was the web. So the fact that we now had ways of getting information and even getting virtual training through webinars, and actually PetSmart Charities was one of the first groups to provide webinars on all kinds of subjects. So we were able to get training virtually, give training virtually. There was social media. You could talk to each other. You could set up groups. You could email to each other. And then there were people like Neighborhood Cats and Alley Cats, Alley Cat Allies, uh, Brian Cordes, who were providing very practical help, including books. But I think that another big element in that progress was it feeling official, like you could come out of the woodwork and talk to municipalities and talk to the shelters and actually start to build some partnerships instead of feeling like what you were doing was not valid. So there was a validation. Um, And then the very fact that people stopped working or in a lot of places, people stopped working in isolation all by themselves. And they started trying to take a more thoughtful or planful approach to really starting to make change in their larger community instead of just the spare lot on the corner. And that was really, really encouraging. Uh, We also provided a lot of training for veterinarians help the veterinarians understand what was going on with community cats, how they could help, help with some of their concerns, get them together with the people doing the work in their own communities. I was very fortunate to get an opportunity to teach a lot, both virtually and at state, regional, and national conferences about very basic TNR, but also about topics to help individuals and nonprofits doing this work think about focusing their work how to best utilize their own resources, trying to avoid burnout, trying to encourage partnerships. And it was really exciting to see people kind of renew their energies just by being validated. 
by hearing that there were other folks doing, by hearing that there were that there were ways to do it better. And I found that really encouraging. And then finding local experts and hooking them up with local experts in another town so that they didn't feel like they were all on their own. Yeah, I find that is incredibly inspiring. And with the mentoring that I've done, many of the groups that we've worked together as teams, once they're done with their project, they still just want to continue on and keep in touch, even if it doesn't involve completing a project or working, you know, for a grant or something. They just, that social bond that they've created, they've become friends and they support each other. Everybody has a down day and it's great to have someone else who understands what it's like in this industry to be able to be like, reach out and say, hey, it's just been really tough. And they'll say, hey, I've had one of those too. You can make it through, you know, just keep on going. I think the connectivity has been tremendously beneficial for this industry. I agree. And your organization has been a huge part of that mentoring. I think too, that not only cat group to cat group connections, but I'm hopeful that I've been seeing over the last few years, less antagonistic connections between animal, local animal shelters, local animal control agencies, and groups that focus on community cats. I think that there were a lot of barriers, and in a lot of communities, there still are a lot of barriers, but I think those are starting to come down as people in traditional shelters, progressive shelters, and animal control, care and control organizations start to recognize the gift that is being given to their work by groups who are focusing on community cats. Yeah. And then my dream is to take it on to the next level and incorporate social service agencies and other supportive services for people to be aware of all of our programs and our support so that we can dovetail really nicely in with their programs too. And that's a great point because I think we do still have individual people who who hugely care, not only for their own cats, but for the cats that they see outdoors but don't really know what to do about it, that don't really know that there are groups that they can work with, whether as a volunteer or to get tips or support. So to talk to human services people, as you say, so that they can have their eye out, just as we do with other situations where we're asking human services people to have their eye out for potential abuse uh, of pets or needs of pets or needs of low-income people to provide for their pets, is to have those uh, those connections with the human, the human service as well as the animal services. I agree with you. I think that's a next big step. If a group reached out to you, Kit, and they had challenges with their fundraising or board or just even, you know, individual burnout or compassion fatigue within the organization. What sort of advice would you give a group? I think one of the most important lessons is to recognize that one change in your organization or in the way you as an individual see things, one move step forward is progress. I think that we get overwhelmed, uh, whether it's as an organization or as a leader of an organization or an individual independent trapper, we get overwhelmed by all the things we, we think we have to keep up with and the things we have to do. And if we can find a way to focus on or refocus on what is the mission? What is it that you have set out to do? Focus in on those services. Find out what other organizations can offer for other services and work in partnership. But then when you're ready to make a positive change, make it a small one first and be able to see what a huge difference that can make to the energy of your organization, to people working together and to you feeling like 
you can take one more step that's positive. You don't have to change the world in 20 minutes. You don't even have to change your organization in a major way in two months. But you can do some very significant things that when they build upon each other and on themselves, you'd be amazed at how re-energized you can be to get the job done you set out to do but also how much more effectively you're able to use your resources. Resources being time, people, money, space, money, 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 space, (laughs) veterinary connections, all of those things. Because um, a lot of us, especially in small organizations, get very scattered. It's all you can do to work day to day. But sometimes we need an opportunity to lift our head out of the ditch and say, okay, what can I do that will make that day-to-day work more effectively? Start thinking about planning. Start thinking about stronger organization because those things, as much as the day-to-day work, is what is going to help more cats in the long run. Can you uh, tell me a little bit about what you're doing now and how it impacts community cats? Well, right now, I'm making myself available to groups to help them do what I just described, to help people recognize what they're doing well, what they would like to do differently, and how to plan that next step without it having to be a huge earth-shattering change. I'm also, I'm, I'm have come back home to this community after being away for 25 years. And it's really interesting that in this pretty large southern city, there's quite a lot of TNR going on, but you have to really dig to find them. So I'm trying to work with some of the larger organizations here to see if their human communications could be improved. I think that's true of a lot of communities. How can people find you? I think the best place would be to go find me on LinkedIn uh, because you can see there my history and my opportunities that I can provide for you. And the best way to do that or the fastest way is www.linkedin backslash n, I-N, backslash Jenkins Kit. And you'll see a picture there of me with my top boy, mister. Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners today? I think that uh, when you boil down what we can do for cats, it's to reduce intake at shelters of all cats, improve the conditions within our organizations, whether it be foster or shelter-based, and then increase those that go out the front door, whether it be through transfer or adoption. And to do all those things, we have to think about conditions, options, think outside the litter box. Um, But if we narrow it down to what is it we really want to do, we want to keep cats out of shelters. We want to keep cats out of organizations. Sometimes that helps us to focus a little bit better. Kit, thank you so much for being on the show today. And I hope to have you back on the show soon. Thanks, Stacey. Thanks for listening to the Community Cats Podcast. If you could go to iTunes and review the show, we'd really appreciate it. When you do, take a screenshot of your review, go to communitycatspodcast.com forward slash review and enter your information and we'll send you a t-shirt. While you're there, don't forget to check out all the ways you can support the content you're passionate about. Thanks, everyone.